Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, memes. You know what a meme is? All you folks maybe who don't do the social media thing, you know what a meme is? Memes are everywhere. You've probably already seen some today. How many have seen a meme today? Oh, you're thinking, well, what is a meme? I've got to tell me what a meme is first. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down for those of you who may not know. Very simply, it's a funny picture with words on it. My kids say, no, it's not dad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> then they show me some wacky video. I'm like, that's not a meme. Yes, it is. Anyway, for me even, memes are pictures with words on them. Funny pictures with words on them. And they're everywhere. They've become a global pastime sharing memes, haven't they? Come on, people. I know you share them too. How many memes are circulated in a single day would boggle the mind? Well, to keep my humor up, I follow a couple of uh, funny Christian meme groups on uh, Instagram. I thought I'd share a couple of groaners with you today to get you going. Here, here's the first one. So technically, Moses was the first person with a tablet downloading data from the cloud. There you go. <clears throat> and this one might touch a little close to home, but your mom before church. <laughs> your mom, when you arrive at church, slightly different perspectives on the dog. <clears throat> Nobody's too angry yet. How about this one? Me trying to find where the Bible says, like and share, and God will bless you. (laughs) And then from one of our favorite Christmas films, of course, when a stranger talks to me about Jesus, I know him. Can you guys do the the best elf routine you can? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know him. Oh, man. Come on, isn't Elf now like one of your favorite Christmas movies ever? Okay, when he eats all the candy. And now, uh, one just for you who took my three for, one, three for the price of one message last week. This is just for you. This is the look you give your pastor when he says he's going to wrap up the sermon 35 <laughs> minutes ago. Ah, <laughs> uh, memes are terrific, aren't they? What do memes have to do with the message today? Hold that thought. Okay. So we are in the third and final message of a little series we've been doing called God's Crazy Idea. We've been exploring God's crazy idea of the church. Not the denomination, the organization, the people of God. This idea that God has that we see he really stepped into something difficult when God decided he would form a people who were, first of all, united in Christ, the people who were one. That's pretty difficult. But then, even perhaps more difficult, not just a people who are united in Christ, but a people who are holy like him. 
shaped according to his character, as we explored last week. So one, holy. And today we're going to look at one more aspect of the church that's critical to God's design, and that is that he made us to be an apostolic church. Now, there's not a word you bandy about in common speech, do you? I hope. Apostolic. What a word. Let's start with a quick definition so we're on the same page. It was transferred over directly from Greek into English. The Greek word was apostolos, which just means sent ones. That's all it means, just sent ones. You send your little brother down the road to give a message to a friend. He's an apostle of yours, of sorts. Anyone who's sent with a message in that sense is a kind of apostle. And this basic definition of being sent is actually going to be central to our conversation today because to be an apostolic church is to be a sent people. But as you can probably guess by the word apostolic, it's linked, right? It's linked to a small group of first century sent ones of Jesus, which included the 12 disciples of his, but also included Paul and a a few others. Apostolic, when we use the word that way, relays an important truth, and that is that the church of Jesus Christ is apostolic because it's founded on the good news of the life and death, teaching, resurrection of Jesus. The whole story of Jesus, which was witnessed to, like people saw it, eyewitnesses, who then saw the event, saw him rise again, and then went and shared out this news, these original sent ones of Jesus. And apostolic is linked to that group of people. And so as a church, and I speak broadly, but it applies to us here, of course, we are apostolic in both senses of that. First, because we actually believed what the apostles told us about Jesus. It was handed down, handed down, but we believed the apostles' message, the apostles' teaching. And second part, because we've now been sent to continue to share that apostolic message about Jesus with others. See how it's all kind of fit together? But it's the second sort of side of that definition of being sent that we're going to be focusing on today. God's crazy idea of a church apostolic is that we make the Jesus story viral, where it goes everywhere, kind of like a meme. Like a meme that gets millions of social shares, the life, death, life story of Jesus gets transmitted out from heart to heart, mind to mind, mouth to mouth, person to person, family to family, generation to generation, culture to culture. It moves from one language group to another language group. It runs down the channels of time going out into all the world to help anyone and everyone discover who Jesus is and then get in actually to this one holy apostolic family of God themselves. And God wanted to make the good news of Jesus viral. And so we hardwired it into our new creation DNA. He made made our new identity in Christ. He made that identity itself apostolic. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to spread. Now, and you may have noticed it worked. It did. It worked and it's working. Whatever our failures, faults, and foibles, and boy, we've got a few, as the church now I'm talking. Whatever need we have for discipline and grace from God, the apostolic church of Jesus has made the good news of Jesus viral. 
gone everywhere from that dark night on Golgotha's bloodstained side erupting from the tomb Sunday, the Jesus movement swept the globe to include billions and billions of people worldwide crossing time and culture, space, language, class, ethnicity, every barrier that could be crossed, it crossed. Rodney Stark has written some terrific stuff historically on on the church and, and one book that I found incredibly illuminating was called The Triumph of Christianity. He said this, one of the last paragraphs in his book, said more than 40% of the people on earth today are Christians and their number is growing more rapidly than any other major faith. Now, if you're, you're in Canada or the U.S. or Europe, you may think, what? Well, yeah, it's true. You just don't happen to be necessarily living where that's happening. But worldwide, it's happening. The church of Jesus Christ is growing. The good news of Jesus went viral because it's a good news story, but also because... The identity of God's church is apostolic, designed to spread. And to see how this all began, I want to invite you into one of the Jesus stories post-resurrection that we find in John's gospel. And I want to do that by inviting you into a bit of an exercise that sometimes is called divine reading. The fancy Latin word is Lectio Divina. Try that at coffee time sometime. All it is is listening to a story kind of quietly, taking a moment to reflect and then hearing this story again. And as you hear it, just receive the story. Maybe see yourself in the story. Uh, Try to imagine the room and what it would have felt like to hear these words, to see this unfold. In this particular case, to see the just crucified but now risen Jesus show up and say these things to you. And that original setting is actually really crucial as we hear this story. See, we know the story, Jesus had been wrongfully convicted and brutally crucified, but just two days before, this story takes place. But there are shocking reports that are now leaking out that Jesus has been seen alive. Peter and John ran to the tomb. It was empty. Mary says she met Jesus, and Jesus told her to go, sent her to go, Tell the disciples about him. Here we got the first apostle. But these disciples of Jesus aren't sure. And they don't know what to do about it. They don't know what to think. They don't know what to say. They're kind of paralyzed. And so they hunker down in a house, afraid of what's going to happen to them because they are known associates of now a crucified Messiah, especially now with these wild rumors circulating that Jesus is alive. So as we hear the story today, I want you to imagine the tension that's in that room, the confusion that they're experiencing, maybe even also a trickle of hope, try to feel that moment, the tension in the chest, the shortness of breath. I mean, what, what would you be doing? You'd be kind of standing, sitting, standing, sitting, laying down on the floor, trying to relax, breathe, curl up. What would you do? Would you be constantly going and talking and saying the same thing over and over again to your friends? Would you be over there with Peter with his head between his knees, trying not to puke? What kind of questions would be running over and over in your mind and heart? Would you be sort of jumping at the sound of any footsteps on the stairs outside, tempted to run? Well, in that moment, feeling crushed and yet a sliver of just a maybe, Jesus pops by. So close your eyes and listen to this story as we hear the story from John 20, 19 to 23. 
Let me read it for you. So just quietly receive this. I do invite you to close your eyes. You don't have to, but just to receive this story. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Just take a moment. And sit with that story. Just a moment of quiet. All of us here, all of us online, just take a moment of quiet. Sit with that story. And then we're going to hear it one more time. When you hear it this time, notice what jumps out to you. Word, phrase, image. Notice what jumps out to you when you hear it this second time. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Take another moment of quiet as you reflect and whatever word or image or phrase uh, stuck out to you that time, just focus in on that for a moment. And now I, uh, this is the last week we're going to be sitting here on tables, so I better make use of it, right? Right? Would you turn to your tables, and if you haven't met someone, please introduce yourself. Those around you, for those in the back who didn't get a table, kind of gather in, and just simply share, what stood out to you? 
We're not looking for a Bible study. We're not looking for a long theological explanation. We're not, that's not what we're doing here. Just what stood out to you? One word, one phrase, one idea. Uh, go ahead and share with your group just for a moment or two what stood out to you. And those of you who are with us online, I invite you to do the same with those who you're with, as well as uh, if you're alone, write it down. Jot it down, some notes. What stood out to you? Just take a moment and do that. Well, there is a lot going on even in this little passage. I know that. I hope you had a chance to share with each other uh, something that stood out to you. I, I know that you could spend a long time talking about a passage like this. Hey, that's what small groups are for. <laughs> so if that just teased you a little bit, hey, I know where you can get some more of that. There is a lot going on in this little interaction of Jesus with his disciples, of course. But in, only, in order to understand our identity as apostolic, I want to narrow our attention to the last half of verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Did you notice how Jesus transferred his apostolic identity to his disciples? First, it's important, actually, that we see that Jesus did understand his own identity as apostolic. We don't often think of Jesus quite that way, but being sent from the Father was central to his identity. In fact, the word sent was a key way that Jesus understood his Father and himself, particularly in the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Being sent was a primary way that Jesus would refer to himself. Jesus understood himself as, quote, sent from the Father. And he would constantly refer to the Father as the one who sent him. And we see very quickly in the Gospel of John that sentness was central, not only to the identity of the Father, but also the Son and their relationship with each other. It's a very helpful little Bible read sometime. Take out a notepad, read through the Gospel of John, and just hunt down all the references made to being sent, or the word sent. You'll notice how incredibly repetitive it is. It'll also help you understand the relationship of the Father and the Son much more, which in turn will shape your understanding of the church being apostolic, of our identity as the sent people of God. But let me give you a little sample of this. This is just pulling literally, I think, like five, five little examples out of like well over 50 examples from, from the Gospel of John. So um, John 4, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In chapter 5, Jesus said, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Chapter 6, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Chapter 7, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And then forward a bit further in John 17, Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is powerfully repetitive on this point, or at least John draws it out in his gospel. At his core, 
Jesus understands both his identity and the identity of his father in terms of being sent. I am who I am, and I do what I do, and I say what I say, and I teach what I teach, and I heal how I heal, and I go where I go, all of it, every bit, because I'm doing the will of the one who sent me, and I'm doing it how he told me to do it. And so Jesus, in John in particular, is kind of like, you got a problem with me? You take it up with the guy who sent It's basically his, uh, his theme all the way through. And that apostolic identity shapes every action that Jesus takes. We've got to get that kind of clear in our minds because I don't think this phrase at the end of John, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, I don't think it hits us with the right impact if we don't understand how Jesus understood his identity as a sent one and how everything he did was in relation to that. So now when Jesus flips the apostolic script and applies it directly to his disciples, there's a whole backstory to that. There's a whole lot of power there. As the Father has sent me, wow, that is just a loaded phrase. As the Father has sent me, in the same way the Father sent me, just like the Father sent me, and all, all that that means, I am now sending you. What does that mean for us? It means that our identity, the way we actually describe ourselves and what we're doing and and, and what we're pursuing as, as, as the people of God is shaped by this apostolic identity as well. Not some sort of generic way, but in the same way that Jesus was himself sent from the Father. That we have been sent by Jesus, that we're the sent ones of Jesus, that we take on his mission to heal, his mission to proclaim God's kingdom come his mission to push back the darkness, his mission to love the outcast and to bring life where there has been death, his mission to make the glory of his father central, that mission becomes central to our identity as his people. So that making Jesus viral and seeing new creation come through Jesus by the Spirit isn't just a job we do or a commission that we serve or some focus that we have. The mission of Jesus to the world is our identity and something that we share in common with all followers post-resurrection. Question for you, just for a quick shout out. What do you think being sent implies? Like, what does it mean that we've been sent or that someone's been sent? Shout it out. What does that mean? Just one word, one phrase. What does that mean? Ambassador. Commissioned. You better do something. Travel. Go forth. Someone else is in charge. In other words, we've been authorized by somebody else. Yep. What else? Does it mean? There's a starting point. Yeah, yeah, you're sent from somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agency. Yes. Acting on behalf of someone. There's a responsibility there. Yeah. What else? What else does it imply? Yes. Uh, creative. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, go fishing. Yep. But take someone with you. <laughs> We're representatives, right? 
There's a, there's a, you're sent with a message. You're sent with a responsibility. There's a sense in which you're representing the one who sent you. It also can mean that you've been invested with something. You've been invested with an important message. You've been invested with, you know, or maybe time has been put into, into shaping you or, or, or making it so that you can do the job you've been sent to do. You've been trained, you hope. When we look at Jesus' self-understanding of being sent from the Father, when we study that, we hold that. It's one of the reasons why we take the Gospels so seriously. We look at the life of Jesus. As we look at Jesus' understanding of his being sent from the Father and the way that shaped his identity and his action, it brings shape to our self-understanding. As a church, as a whole church, and then, of course, applying to us personally, but always thinking of the whole that to be sent as the people of God is to be authorized by Jesus to share the good news of what God has done for the world through Jesus. That we are sent to represent God's purposes, his desires, his plan. We're able to live and represent the kingdom of God in the very way that we do our lives, the very way that we interact, the very way that we are, 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 are living in our, in our family relationships, in our neighbor relationships. We are, are acting now as new creation images of God who've been given responsibility and have been empowered by the Spirit to actually continue the mission of Jesus to heal, to restore, to bring life to the world. To be sent means that we're, we're God reps everywhere we go, 24-7. We represent God, which I think it's at this point, the shoe kind of drops, and let's be honest, we think, okay, you're right, that is a crazy idea, because seriously, what makes you think we're going to do that right? Does anyone think we're going to do that right? I, uh, what kind of questions come... To your mind, when you think, you sent us to represent you? Not yet, Cameron. Go back. We're not ready for the final meme yet. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. Not, re- not ready yet. No, that's okay. Think about being sent, and then think about us being sent. How do you know we'll represent God properly? Because, I don't know about you, but... I think I might have noticed a time or two when people haven't represented God very well. I mean, one of the painful things in history is when people have claimed God as the reason they can do awful stuff, right? So it gives religion a terrible name. And in our history as Christians, often... The things we have to ask forgiveness for is the very times when people said, we're doing this in the name of God, and it looked nothing like Jesus. So how do we know? We'll represent God properly. And you think, why would God even dare to make us responsible for this? I actually don't want to be held accountable for that. Do you want to wake up every day? Do we want to wake up every day as a church and think, I'm accountable to God for representing him today? Anyone? A little nervous? What happens if I mess up? Which, by the way, I already have today, I think. Yes, I have. It's, only, it's 11 o'clock. I'm pretty sure I've misrepresented him already today. <laughs> what happens if we mess up, right? 
Well, what, well, how do we make sure people don't let it go to their heads? I mean, all the things that make you think, God, are you serious? Kind of like with the United thing, being, being one and, and being um, holy. You kind of look at God and say, Ser- really? Are you sure about that? And that's why I think we need to keep reading in the story. I mean, what did Jesus do immediately following this? Maybe not transfer, but certainly inclusion, where he, he took his apostolic identity and said, I'm sending you in the same way. What did he do immediately following that? This is crucial. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, which is like, there's so much going on here in John, but this is like the first day of new creation. This is like the new Adam being breathed into by the Spirit, by God. Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. them. I know that raises a little bit of questions. But here's the thing that we need to see in that final thing. As sent ones, we first of all realize that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to empower us for this mission. Part of that empowering is actually making us holy <laughs> and, and united. I mean, the part of the Holy Spirit's work in us as he sends us is to actually unite us in Christ and begin to work in our lives in such a way that we begin to look like God so that we can represent him more. But it doesn't change the fact that he's empowered us by the Spirit to actually do this mission, to be his people. And so empowered by the Spirit is the only way that this will ever happen. But secondly... This forgiveness bit, which I know is a bit odd to our ears when we hear it. But hear this. What Jesus says here is that sent one's forgiveness is central to what we're on about. Both with each other and with others. We're making the forgiveness of Jesus known and effective in people's lives. Because that's the story of the good news of Jesus. That's what's going viral. That God has acted through Jesus to bring forgiveness. We are a forgiveness movement. And I think what makes us pull back from that final phrase of Jesus, we're like, seriously? You're making us responsible for forgiveness? <gasps> yes. In the sense that we've got to make it known. We've got to get out there. If people don't find out about Jesus and his forgiveness, how are they going to know? And empowered by the Spirit, we are a forgiveness movement, which actually then helps us realize that when I do misrepresent Jesus, when I do make a mistake, when you inevitably fail me and I inevitably fail you, and we as a church fumble around, we are forgiveness people. We admit when we've sinned. We admit when we've missed it. We admit, we admit when holiness, that's the desire of God, and we have not been holy or we've been divided, not been one. We seek forgiveness and find that forgiveness is always there. As sent ones, we're spirit-empowered and forgiveness-centered. And God has sent us with his message that Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, it is for all. And so this is what completes it, this crazy idea of God, that we would be a one holy apostolic church. It's the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, that somehow within this one family of God, we are being discipled into the holy character of God while getting on with the mission of God and all of this as a work of the Holy Spirit. 
I am excited over the next couple months to explore a different series, but it's kind of related as we look at particularly what we are on about as the Covenant Church. Uh, but a lot of us are new to the Covenant Church. A lot of us are, are, are new to the Valley. And, um, but, but some of us have been around for a while, and it's a helpful, a helpful reminder where we're going to explore in the months of October and November, what does it mean to be us? Not in an exclusive way at all. You'll find quickly um, being covenant is really much more about being connected to the larger body of Christ, but there's some particularities about who we are. But the point of that is not about uh, us narrowing in, but rather on us understanding how God has called us to be his one holy apostolic church right here as the Erickson Covenant Church. And I'm excited to share that with you because I think it'll expand or deepen. It'll help us figure out, like, do I want to stay at this church? Which is a real great question you should ask. I mean, seriously ask. Um, because being part of a particular local church uh, comes with things, comes with responsibility, uh, comes with expectations. Um, it comes with uh, an opportunity for growth and for connection with others. And so I'm hoping that even as we finish this one series and we move on to the next, there'll be some interconnection there as we explore God's crazy idea of us, particularly here at the Erickson Covenant Church. But extending, extending back a little further again, the fact that God had this crazy idea that he is committed to fulfilling called the church. And it turns out his plan to create a people who are united in Christ, who are holy like him, and who are sent to make Jesus viral. Turns out it's the only plan that's destined to change the world. It's the only plan that will outlive evil. It's the only plan that will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth that he has established for eternity. And by his grace, not only do we get in on it, but we get the privilege of helping others get in on it too. A couple of memes to finish now, Cameron. How's this one? That's a nice grave there. It would be a shame if someone rose from it. Okay, that, that is kind of in a theme of memes where they, they focus in a little closer on this incredibly cliche picture of Jesus. But um, I, I thought it was a little, but how, how, how about this final one? Go in the spirit of this duck. Do you have a moment to talk about Jesus? Oh, we want to make Jesus viral, friends. He's worth it. He's worth it. And through Jesus... People discover life. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.